Uh, hello, welcome to our um, Sunday class. Today we're going to be speaking out about Lord Ram Chandra. Today is Ram Navami. Uh, Navami is a feminine word in Sanskrit, meaning the ninth, like seventh, eighth, ninth, and it refers to the to titi. It's a feminine word referring to titi, which is a feminine word in Sanskrit. A titi is a lunar day according to the lunar calendar. So just like the eleventh lunar day is a kadashi, and the twelfth dwadashi or the eighth is ashtami, septami, triodashi, chaturdashi. All those words are simply. Uh, feminine ordinal numbers in Sanskrit referring to Tithi, a lunar day. So today is Rama Navami. It's the appearance day of Lord Ramachandra who appeared on the ninth lunar day a very long time ago in Treta Yuga. So one of the, uh, there are many songs to Lord Ramachandra. One of them is Raghupati Raghava Raja Ram Patita Pavana Sita Ram. Um, Raghu is the name of a great king that lived even before Ramchandra. And Lord Rama was born in that dynasty of Raghu. So the, the in um, Vedic culture, often a dynasty takes on the name of a very prominent king, like the Yadu dynasty. Yadu is actually a king, and the dynasty was called by him Yadu or uh, and so Krishna is called Yadava, member of the Yadu dynasty. And similarly, Raghu was a prominent king, and therefore the dynasty is also called Raghu. So Lord Rama is Raghu Pati. He's the lord of the Raghus, or the lord of the Raghu dynasty. So Raghu Pati Raghava. And uh, emphasizing his dynasty, Raghava also means in the Raghu dynasty. That's where the word Raghava means a descendant of Raghu. So Raghupati, Raghava Raja Ram, King Rama. Raja Rama, Patita Pavana, the uh, purifier or savior of the fallen, Patita Pavana, Sita Rama. So of course, uh, Lord Rama's very famous consort is Sita Devi. And uh, so Sita Ram can, Rama can mean Lord Rama, who belongs to or associated with Sita, or it can mean that actually the two of them, Sita Ram, Sita Rama, are the saviors. So uh, today, <clears throat> in honor of Lord Rama, and of course it's interesting, the word Chandra means moon, and so the moon is very beautiful, silvery, and uh, so therefore yeah, the word Chandra is used as a suffix to say to say that someone is beautiful or sublime, like we have Krishna Chandra or Rama Chandra. He's very commonly called Rama Chandra, uh, perhaps to also to distinguish him from Lord Balaram. Uh, Balaram, of course, uh, did not play the part of a king. So if we say Raja Ram, that means Ram, Ramachandra. And uh, so I'm going to read uh, this verse 9, 10, 50 from the Bhagavatam. And then I'll explain to you why I, that this would be a very interesting verse speak on uh hmm. and let's see there it is so nine ten fifty agrahit asanam braja pranipatya prasaditaha so uh lord rama being prasaditaha prasadita means uh 
Prabhupada translates it here, uh, having been pleased in the word for word, and then being pleased uh, in the translation. So the word prasadita, of course, comes from the word prasada, uh, which can mean the remnants of food coming from a great soul, and so therefore a sanctified remnant. so I thought I would just take a moment to tell you where these where this word comes from, since it's so much part of our culture. The verb prasad can mean to grow clear and bright, to become placid or tranquil. So to, to be blessed, to get the prasad and the mercy means that you become clear-headed, your consciousness becomes bright, transparent. You can see everything as it really is. Also become satisfied or pleased. So to receive prasada means to, so prasadita can mean to be pleased. And it's interesting, there's a connection here between transparency of consciousness and happiness. Just like water, water is very pleasing when it's pure, pure water. So in the same way, when consciousness is very pure, consciousness is very pleasing. And so in this particular verse, we have the word prasadita, which means brought brought to this state of being prasanna, being happy and uh, pleased and so on. So anyway, uh, so Lord Rama agrahit, he took, he took or accepted as Prabhupada said, Asana, the, the asana, and this, of course, means the seat of power, uh, the royal seat of power. The throne is also called Singhasana, the lion's seat, uh, pronounced sometimes in the West as Singhasana, somehow or other, but it's actually Singhasana, the lion's seat, which means a throne. So Lord Rama Agrahit, he accepted or he took the seat because he was prasadita, he was pleased, <coughs> brought by his brother who offered him the throne in a very pure, uh, pleasing way. And it said here that, um, that Lord Bharata offered him the throne, pranipatya, uh, bowing down to him. Prabhupada translates this after fully surrendering unto him. And uh, so we have this course, Tadvidhi Pranipatena. So in the famous verse, approach a spiritual master in Bhagavad Gita, Pranipata, Pranipatena, through submission or bowing down. And here we have the same word, Pranipatya, which is just the verb instead of the noun. It's the same word it means. And so it literally describes the action of submitting because pra means forward and ni means down and put means following. Uh, I'm sorry, falling. So literally, you, it's, it actually, the word actually describes the physical motion of bowing to someone. So agrahit asanam pratra pranipatya prasaditaha. So being pleased by Bharata's submission, surrender. Uh, Lord Rama accepted the throne and uh, Praja Swadharma Nirata Varnashrama Gunanvita Jugopa. So Jugopa is a verb meaning he protected, uh, just like Krishna is called Gopala or a gopa, cow herd. So ju-gopa means uh, he protected. So he protected prajaha, the citizens, all the creatures, not only human beings. He protected all the creatures of the realm because swadharma nidataha, because they were engaged in their own dharma. So people, in a sense, deserve protection or can be protected are able to be protected from themselves and from other people uh, when they follow their proper dharma, when they do their proper duty. So Lord Rama protected the citizens, Jugopa, who were swadharma nidata, 
engaged seriously in their own dharma, and they were uh, and unbita they were endowed with guna, the good qualities of varnashram. Varnashrama guna anvitaha. So that means that Krishna has created the Varnashram system in such a way that if you do your duty, you will develop good qualities. And that's an interesting topic, which uh, you know we can we can go over. Uh, but if people, for example, if one follows one's ashram duties. That means being a celibate student, a brahmachari or brahmacharini, or a faithful grihasta, or vanaprasta, or a sannyasi. So if you follow your ashram duties, you act with and strengthen within yourself good qualities, because the rules of each ashram are made in such a way that if you follow them, you behave properly. And the same is true for the Varnas, uh, because each Varna, Brahmana, Kshatriya, Vaisha, or Shudra, each Varna has rules, like how to be a Brahmana, how to be a king, or a merchant, or farmer, or a worker, artisan. It's not you just go and do that, but there are many rules about your behavior and how you do it. And if you follow those rules, you develop virtue, you develop good qualities. So Lord Rama was protecting these virtuous, regulated, self-controlled citizens who are following their varna and ashram duties. And now here's the part, and this is why I picked this verse actually, because it says, Lord Rama protected them, Peter Vat, he like a father, Rama. And the citizens, Mani De Pitarangchatam, and the citizens thought of him as a father. As their father. The reason I picked this verse because in the last two lines, the Lord Rama protected the citizens like he, he, like a father, protected them, and they thought of him as their father because this sounds very much like something which nowadays we are supposed to think is evil, and that is patriarchy. Patriarchy, uh, that's a we're supposed to think of that as something evil. Uh, so is it necessarily evil? I mean, any system, any system of social or political or economic organization can be used to exploit and abuse other people. That's clear. So in a sense, the question we're raising is when you have a leader, a king, who is like a father, is that necessarily bad? Is that bad for the citizens? And of course, the queen is like the mother. Uh, actually, in England, they say the queen mother. Of course, that refers to a, a queen whose husband is no longer the king, usually because he's passed away. But so is this idea of the rulers of, of a country or a kingdom being like parents, the king like a father. Is that bad? So let's look at that. The first point to be made, I think, is that, well, I've already said this, any system can be exploited. So if when people criticize patriarchy, and that's from uh, the word patriarchy, is the definition of system of society or government in which the father or eldest male is head of the family and descent is traced through the male line, or a system of society or government in which men hold the power and women are largely excluded from it. Hmm, that's interesting. A society or community organized on patriarchal lines. By the way, it's... Um, Patri, of course, is Peter. It's from the Sanskrit Patri. And Arche in, in Greek uh, means a governing principle. Like if only one person governs, that's called 
uh, like mono, mono means one, so monarchy, monarchy. And uh, if a group governs this oligarchy, and if no one is in charge, it's called anarchy. There's no governing principle, and so on. So, if by if by the word monarch, uh, I'm sorry, patriarchy, we mean that the women have no significant role, then in a sense, Lord Ramchandra's government is not a patriarchy because, in the case of Sita Devi. And um, in general, if we find great rulers in Indian history, the queen also played a significant role. Of course, uh, the roles might be different. For example, it's very uncommon that, that the queen would ride into battle and fight. And I think that's those, should, I mean, for obvious physiological reasons even today for example in martial arts all kinds of martial arts whether it's you know boxing or kickboxing or or um mixed martial arts uh they they generally have uh the men and the women separate i mean women fight women men fight men for very good reasons men uh on average have over twice i forget the exact number the upper body strength of women <clears throat> and uh, so even, I mean, in general in sports, if, I mean, soccer teams or basketball teams, if men play the women, usually it's not even an interesting competition. It doesn't mean that men are somehow better morally than women, but it, it's just a fact. I mean, we're, I think we're supposed to not talk about certain facts nowadays uh, even if they are facts, which is very interesting, which means that ideology is more important than truth, something like what we see today in Russia, the Russian government. But in any case, uh, in any case, um, men are physiologically, in general, almost always stronger and more fitted for that kind of violent battle. And so uh, that's one point. Um, as far as the political realm actually governing, uh, we know that, for example, Draupadi participated in the government of the Pandavas. But even if we, even if we call it, I mean, so we could have a whole long discussion, like, is it really patriarchy? Was Lord Rama's government really patriarchy or was it a modified patriarchy or modified system of a royal couple and so on of course we know that lord rama according to the story sent away seat at a certain point she of course agreed to go i mean we don't hear that she refused and then he like you know you know violently forced her to go so but of course it's a, it's a, in a sense a tragic story or i mean no one i've never met anyone that really likes that story so much of sita leaving but anyway um, so <clears throat> if there is a system, well, here, uh, the king is like a father and, uh, nowadays I would say in general, uh, people nowadays, especially so-called intellectuals are often grossly irrational, but it's interesting that that if if a king loves the citizens like his own children, then clearly he's going to take care of them. He's going. He's not going to steal money for his biological children, but he's going to treat all the citizens like his children. He's going to love them. He's going to care for them. And is that bad? Or if it is bad, why is it bad? Why is it bad for a king to love? The citizens like his own children. Now, of course, one argument might be that, well, because the citizens are not his children, and actually the king or the ruler, of course, they don't have kings nowadays, most places, uh, is just a servant of the people. Uh, and they're not his children. They're ultimately, you know, they can vote him out of office. So 
um, I would say we have to separate uh, the real world from sort of this dream world where what we really see, what we see in the real world is that political leaders tend to be much kinder, much more generous with their own families and their own children than they are with citizens in general. So, of course, if, if the citizens see the king as a father and the, and the king sees his, the citizens as his own children, so to speak, uh, then, of course, then the ruler is not just the servant of the people. So this idea of the ruler being the servant of the people, uh, is that really practical? Does that, does that happen in the real world? Uh, I don't think so. I mean, we, I don't see any democratically elected president or prime minister actually going door to door and cleaning people's houses or, you know, personally helping them with their tax returns. I mean, for, for one thing, you know, in a modern country, it's absolutely impossible for the king or say for a president or prime minister to personally serve the citizens because there are millions of citizens. So that's totally impossible. So if you say a, a president or prime minister just really tries to do its best for the citizens, how is that different from being like a father? One might argue that, um, well, because a father thinks that he knows best and and this and the children you know don't make the decisions the father makes the decisions and therefore if we say the king is like a father it means he's just he's treat, treating them in a very condescending way the citizens however uh is that necessarily true i don't think so first of all uh good fathers and good mothers do what's really best for their children and they do take seriously the preferences and needs and wishes of the children. Now, if the child desires something, the child, of course, we're talking about children. We, you know, children can be also grown children. They're not necessarily little babies. We're not to say that the king is like the father doesn't mean that he treats all the citizens like his, like his children in the sense he treats them all like babies because there can be a grown son, there can be a mature son. But if you think of a father, for example, the government doesn't allow or has not legalized, let's say, uh, certain uh, harmful drugs or certain behavior which is dangerous. For example, it's very common that there are laws that you have to wear a seatbelt when you're driving your car. So uh, is that treating people like children? Is that treating people like children to say that when they drive their cars, they have to wear seatbelts or to say that when they drive their cars, they can't, cannot legally go over a certain speed. Is that treating them like children? If we treat them like adults, why not let them decide what they want to do? Why not let them decide the drivers what speed they want to go? <clears throat> or why have laws regulating how <clears throat> um, parents have to take care of their children? Isn't that treating the parents like children? If you have all these laws saying you, you must do this, you cannot do that if you have a child. I mean, if you think about it, uh, the very fact of having a state or a government that makes laws and a society in which people have to follow all kinds of rules. Is that treating them like children? What does it mean? I mean, this gets into the whole topic. If you say having a king who's like a father um, is treating people, the citizens like, like children, what does it mean to treat someone like a child? For example, we do not see in any Shastra, Mahabharata, or Bhagavatam, or Ramayana, that the king would personally go around and tell people 
what Varnarashan they had to follow. Those are things that worked out within families or within communities. So it's not the Vedic society in which the king is like a father is not a system in which the king is personally interfering in everyone's personal life, private life. In fact, if we look at, like, what did that mean to be like a father, a king, Ramchandra? Uh, it was more, it was, for example, it meant protecting them. If there were criminals on the loose, if there were bad people, the king would have to personally protect the citizens. So is that bad? For example, I've chosen to live, as I always choose to live, in a place that has very low crime and a very good police protection. So am I making myself into a child? Am I is, you know, putting myself in a position to be treated like a mere child rather than an adult because I choose to live in a place where there's very good police and there's very low crime. So that's one of the thing that thing that's meant by saying that Lord Rama ruled like a father. He actually protected the citizens. I think that's a great thing. I only live in places where there is that kind of protection just because I, you know, have no interest in being assaulted or attacked, you know, violently by some idiot criminal. So, or for example, let's say that um, we, we've had this uh, problem with uh, pandemic, now maybe it's an epidemic. And so if the government works hard to make sure everyone who you know, wants it has a vaccine, is that treating them like children? Like, what does it mean to be an adult? Does it mean everyone has to go out and invent their own vaccine? Which is, of course, impossible. So providing medical care, is that treating people like children? If the government makes arrangements to provide medical care for people? What if the government makes arrangements uh, to keep the economy strong so that people can be prosperous? Is that treating them like children? So what are we really talking about here? If you look at the actual services that a great Vedic king like Lord Rama offered to the people, it was precisely these things, medical care, <clears throat> strong economy, prosperity, uh, personal safety for you and your family, in other words, to suppress uh, criminal violence or just criminal activity in general. Uh, to make So which of those things is really undesirable? And if you think about it, that's what parents do for children. They make sure the children have good food to eat. They make sure the children basically have whatever they need materially. They protect them. They keep a peaceful atmosphere at home in the family if there are other people there. And so, uh, so when people, if, if by patriarchy people mean that women are suppressed, and women have no say and no one, you know, they have no power, no influence, only men. Uh, of course, that's what patriarchy has come to mean. It's not what the word literally means. And so if we mean some evil form of government as defined nowadays, uh, well, Ram Raja, the uh, Rama Raja, the kingdom of Rama was not evil and he was not evil. And the citizens were actually very happy by all the services he provided. In fact, it's understood in any civilized culture that parents do have to serve their children. I mean, my God, anyone that ever had a child knows exactly what that's about. You know, who's the servant and who's getting the benefits. So, um, Kingdom. So Raja is king and Rajya with a Y is kingdom. So in the Rama Raja, this is the goal, or this is the ideal, even today in India, of perfect state. We live in a state that's ruled so wisely as, 
as wisely as Lord Rama ruled his state, his government. So Raghupati Raghava, Raja Ram, Patita Pavana, Sita Ram. Today, of course, is Rama Navami, abbreviated in Indian, modern Indian languages, at times Ram Nomi, Nomi, just being sort of an abbreviation of Navami. So uh, I'm going to see if there are any questions. Well, let's see what we have here today. So, Hare Krishna, uh, can you please explain Sita asking Rama to hunt the golden deer for her? It seems very contradictory to her kind and spiritual nature. I would have to look at the Sanskrit to see if she actually asked Lord Rama to kill the deer or to bring him as a pet. So that would be something that I would, I don't have the Sanskrit text in front of me, but I think that's the first thing I would want to look at. I'd like to see the context uh, before I comment on that, but it is a good question. So I, before answering, I would like to study, study the text more. Um, thank you all for listening. Thanks for your comments. Since going down the list here, okay, here's something from Leela Kara. How can we attest to the fact that material relationships are flickering? Well, it really looks like everyone dies. For example, Sita being kidnapped by Ravana. Uh, well, but again, Sita and Ram are an eternal couple. So they perform pastimes in this world. Material romance is not just a pastime representing eternal, eternal activities. It's people really die and then it really gets separated. Uh, as far as Sita Prabhupada's somewhat unhappy marriage, uh, Prabhupada never said that was an eternal marriage. So Jagat Palana, uh, Krishna says a chedyo yam, the soul cannot be cut. Krishna and Rama are two different persons. How can they still be one soul? <laughs> Well, it's not that there was one person and then got cut, because first of all, that sounds more like Jarasandha, where there's two halves of a body. Krishna eternally manifests in these wonderful forms. These are eternal forms of the Lord. Uh, and the cutting referred to in the Gita is physical cutting, not manifesting in various ways. Where are the rules for the different varnas? Uh, you can begin, I would say, in the Bhagavatam. Uh, I forget which canto. I'm trying to think if it's the, uh, I think in the seventh canto. No, uh, yeah, the Prahlad Maharaj. Sorry, Prahlad, I believe it's seventh canto. And uh, there's a lot of Varnashram rules. So throughout the Bhagavatam, there are many rules. That's from Mangala Artidas. Oh, Jai Krishna, jumping Jai is there. So uh, let's see, anything else? Okay, Hare Krishna Das in Mexico. Uh, in a hypothetical question, in a hypothetical uh, Vaishnaviscon, Country in the future has very orthodox law system prohibit to very citizen break the. Oh, so in a hypothetical uh, Vaishnav, uh, country ruled by Vaishnavas, would the rules, would the four principles be the law? Uh, probably not for sudras, at least some of them. I mean, it's. Um, if we read Shastra, if we read. Shastra, 
you know, many different Shastras, we find the lower class people uh, did not strictly follow all, all the time the four principles, and sometimes kings ate not non-vegetarian food in the real world. Obviously, the those who were more advanced, those who were more spiritual, were stricter, but uh, in the real world, not every king was um, a great saint. And so we do find that. So, um, let's see. Uh, so this is from Self Savior. Is the highest level of rasa available in a yodhya dasya rasa? Well, no, uh, not, not unless you're Sita, because dasya rasa is dasya rasa. So Krishna Shakti, considering that in Kali Yuga there is rarely any qualified human being, do you consider the monastic system still viable? Do you mean monarchic? Monarchic system. Kings, uh, what would be an ideal type of government according to our current situation in the world? Um, first of all, we have to remember that kings were not completely independent or autonomous. They were supposed to be guided by the Brahmanas. So you have a separate class, the Brahminical class, who does not, they're not supposed to, engage in all kinds of sense gratification and um, they're not supposed to accumulate wealth. You have an austere class who are supposed to guide the Brahmins, uh, the Kshatriyas. So there is a balance of power. It's not absolute monarchy at all. If you know the history of Europe or other parts of the world, this is not absolute monarchy where the king has absolute power. This is a balance of power where you basically have two ruling classes. The kings are the political rulers. The Brahmins uh, are meant to protect the moral principles and the piety of the citizens and even guide the kings. So you do have that balance of power. And of course, we, we find in Shastra, sometimes the balance worked and sometimes things got out of balance and had to be corrected. But, but that was the system. Should state leaders have any say regarding people's religious choices? In other words, was everyone, whoops, God's crazy, it just jumped. I didn't do it. Okay, I'm innocent. In other words, was everyone a Vaishnava during Ramaraja? Uh, yes and no. For one thing, um, for example, this issue actually comes up in India because <clears throat> the Hindu population is um, many, much of the Hindu population is is for against cow killing, or in general, not to brutalize animals. And the Muslim population uh, usually happily kills cows. So there's an example where you could say is, for example. A system of respecting animal rights, so especially with cows, respecting animal rights, is that religious or moral? I would say it's moral. So when we use the word religion, it's not like it's it's not like the, the way the word is used nowadays, where it's just about who do you worship and 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 things like that. Um, Ancient, the ancient world, actually the pre-industrial world, really all all over the world, up to um, you know, up until really a couple hundred years ago or less, uh, societies were not like so heavily secular, and so religious principles were part of society, and because because religions also provided moral principles, so if a society is receiving its moral principles from a what, what someone can call a religion, you can call it a wisdom tradition, then, for example, the, the, the Ten Commandments say, thou shalt not kill. So if we have a law against murder, is that mixing church and state? 
Clearly, that would be absurd. But where do we get the idea that you shouldn't murder? Well, it comes from religions. So, um, so that's a whole discussion. And in the pre-industrial world, uh, people did not think of religion the same way we do nowadays. I think in some ways, I mean, in some parts of the world, they were primitive and fanatic, like in medieval Europe. In uh, other places, they had more enlightened views. So um, we would have to talk about that. You know, are moral principles part of a religion or are they just moral principles? And for example, if, if a society believes, let's say that Lord Rama is actually Lord Rama, then that's the society's view. And can a society, for example, be devoted to Rama, but at the same time provide religious freedom? If we look at the Mahabharata or the Bhagavatam, there is religious freedom because obviously everyone's not a Vaishnava and you know kings aren't going around killing non-Vaishnavas and kings are often not Vaishnavas. So yeah, there was freedom of religion within, within boundaries, for example, uh, Jarasandha was collecting Yadu princes in order to butcher them and offer them to the goddess Kali. So you could say, well, he was offering them to goddess Kali, so that was a religious activity. So didn't he have religious freedom? No, because butchering innocent people uh, is unacceptable. You can't say, well, that's my religion. I mean, even in America. I, well, actually, I'll give an example from Brazil. I remember many years ago, I can't remember how many years ago, maybe 40 years ago when I was living in Brazil and um, the government discovered this uh, sort of evil, quote unquote, religious community that was worshiping the deity of the ocean by offering to the ocean living babies they would go out into the you know the ocean and drown babies as an offering to the ocean so the government of course stopped this you know that was their religion so you know but it was evil so the relationship between law in general and religious principles and can you know it's you can have religious freedom but the government can still favor a particular religion so, um, I mean, England, there's the Church of England, which, you know, up until perhaps today has certain privileges, but there is religious freedom in England. So it's a complex subject. But in general, people did have freedom in Vedic culture within reasonable limits. So, uh, Jason Bourne does so Smith's funny. Is there any indication that there's an interest to come back to monarchy amongst political leaders of today? Well, probably most of the political leaders would love to have the powers of kings. Um, unfortunately, because of all the monarchy bashing, um, people who are not satisfied with democracy, because in many parts of the world, it's incredibly dysfunctional and corrupt, um, tend to choose rather than a king, just some dictator. I mean, basically, I, I don't know if it's, you could say it's chosen, but you know, if you look at China, if you look at Russia, I mean, you have dictatorships. Those are not democratic governments at all. So, um, <clears throat> And when they do polls, they show that even in Western countries, Western Europe or America, fewer people today than previously believe that democracy is necessarily a great system. So um, is it, I mean, some places democracy seems to work well where you have a very small, homogeneous, educated population like in Scandinavia but where you do not have a homogeneous population and where you don't have a small population, when you have a lot of people who are not educated or very difficult to educate, um, then you can get all, you, you do get all kinds of really absurd 
corruption in the name of democracy. So, so what's an ideal political system? That again is a long discussion. So it seems we will have to reintroduce many aspects of long lost Dharma that could be rather that could be rather complex. How to do it? Um, as you said, rather complex. I think what we do is we just we should have a clear idea of what's right and what's wrong. And as far as possible within the world and country we live in to try to promote what is good and what is right. So I've heard somewhere that in the patriarchy that the father is the head, but the mother's and the mother's the neck. That was in actually that okay, it's a famous line from my big fat Greek wedding. Also, when there's some truth in it, of course. Also, what are the difference in dynamics in a matriarchy? Well, the first obvious difference is the women rule. There are, you know, anthropologists have found matriarchies. There are matriarchies around the world, usually in very simple societies. Uh, we've and uh, in the United United Kingdom and and in, in most of the surviving European monarchies, even, even though they don't have so much power, uh, the next in line to the throne can be a woman. And that's been true in England for a very long time and in Europe for a very long time, that a, that a woman, so that's not, so in that sense, you could say that monarchy, monarchy in Europe was not a patriarchy because you have a lot of queens. So we have to make a distinction between monarchy and patriarchy. Uh, Europe was monarchy and not always patriarchy. India tended to be more patriarchy, just judging from the history. So do we observe fasting on this day? Uh, yeah, I think till noon sometimes. So uh, oh, so Tulsi said in the original Ramayana, Sita asked Rama for the deer to be a pet and a, uh, yeah, a pet, something to entertain Sita, basically for the same reason people get pets nowadays. So thank you, Tulsi. Uh, so Mahatma says fast until dusk. I remember that when Prabhupada said we used to fast till noon, but Anyway, I'm not, I won't get into the fasting rules. Uh, in Belgium, about 20 years ago, the citizens asked the king to come back. They preferred to have a good king. I wouldn't say rather than democracy because people still vote in Belgium, but they also wanted a king. Uh, so uh, would the child have to be smarter in any way than the father to be able to know if the father has been corrupted in any way it might not be able to guide or serve the child properly. Yeah, because for one thing, you have a Brahmin class and they're not only learned, they're more learned even than the kings. And I think that, and of course, the people in general would notice. An example of that is in the Mahabharata, that when the Pandavas, when it was believed that the Pandavas had died in the house of lack and that fire, the common citizens were criticizing very heavily the royal family, uh, the king, Rajirastra, uh, and uh, Duryodhana. So, yeah, people were attentive to these things. You know, many people, especially the Brahmins, but other citizens also, they knew Dharma, they knew what was right, and if the king did the wrong thing, they would criticize the king, and they were allowed to do that. Uh, So uh, this is uh, Srimati Sita Devi is there in is in Madhuri Rasa, but she's Ram Chandra's only wife. My following so my question is: Is Madhuri Rasa available in a Yogya Leela? Uh, not apparently, because if you one wants to have a conjugal relationship, with Lord Rama, it looks like not going to happen. At least not in a Yogya Leela. <laughs> So uh, let's see. So Krishna Shakti again. Can we say that Lord Ramchandra took sannyas when he sent away his queen? When would you recommend someone to formally accept Panaprastha and sannyasi days? Well, yes, in a sense. But of course, Ramchandra was still the king, and sannyasis aren't supposed to be kings. 
but he did not take Vanaprastha because you stay with your wife in Vanaprastha. And so he did not formally take sannyas, but he took on the austerities of a sannyasi, but he did not you know, dress as a sannyasi or formally act as a sannyasi. So uh, according to the perfect government, in quotes, uh, or should a perfect government provide school for citizens as well, safety, health care? Yeah, absolutely. Everyone should be educated as far as possible. Of course, in those days, there were ashrams, the Guru Kula. Uh, education was more personal, probably more effective. But yes, everyone should have the opportunity to learn as much as possible. So, to the, so, so it says also the appearance of Sri Lakshman, Bharat, and Satchud, and I wasn't aware they were all born the same day. Uh, that's what it says there. So, care to tell us what the outcome of this political scene you would like to see? I would just like to see good government. I'm not fanatical, I'm not dogmatic. We obviously don't have great government nowadays. I mean, government does some things right, does some things badly, very badly. So I would just like to see good government and whatever works, you know, that's fine. So thank you again for all your kind comments. Uh, so um, I guess I'll stop here for now. Thank you all very much. I wish everyone a very happy, um, very happy uh, Ram Navami. And may Lord Ramachandra and Sita Devi bless all of us. Last point I'll make. It's interesting that in the actual Vaishnava tradition, Sita, of course, is very prominent. So in terms of worship and just in terms of Vaishnavism, uh, Sita, the female counterpart of Lord Rama, is very prominent, plays a leading role in, uh, in Vaishnavism, especially Vaishnavism when it focuses on, on Lord Rama. Sita is very important, so that I think tells you a lot about the culture. So thank you very much, and uh, hope to see you. We'll all be together again soon. Happy Ram Navami Hare Krishna.